Welcome to Media Path. I'm Fritz Coleman. And I'm Louise Palenker. Yes, we're back from hiatus. Wheezy was on her Zen retreat to both Santa Barbara and Buffalo. I hope someday she'll tell us the story of the project she worked on for her mom because it's really touching and fascinating. We won't do it right now. I just got back from a follow-up cosmetic procedure. I'm doing very well, thank you. We're both happily back, anxious to talk about what's new in the entertainment universe, and so happy to invite our guest, Renee Watson, to visit with us today. This lady is an actor and an author and acting coach and has... I'm guessing now, been on more iconic television shows than just about any other actor in show business. Amazing how much work she's done. Looking forward to talking to Vernay. But first, Wheezy, what have you been dying to tell our listeners about? Fritz, I've been doing some reading. I know you do. Javier Zamora is a young poet who traveled to America from a small town in El Salvador. His parents had already escaped the political turbulence, and Javier's grandfather placed him with a coyote to join his parents at the age of nine. Told through the perspective of that nine-year-old child, Javier recounts the harrowing nine-week journey of 3,000 miles through three countries across land and sea aboard dangerous, unseaworthy death traps, riding and walking with multiple attempts at crossing the punishing Arizona desert while being chased, hunted, imprisoned, and held at gunpoint. Javier's survival instincts are inspiring. He does not yet know how to tie his own shoes, but he knows how to create a travel family who will collectively protect, support, and love their way to safety in, as Javier calls it, La USA. This is a book about the immigrant experience faced by millions across centuries as humans migrate away from danger and towards a more promising future. They face not only the elements and the strain and dangers of travel, but also those who have already arrived and shut the door. In La USA, unless you are a Native American, your citizenship is thanks to the courage of a relative who made that journey. As we observe what happens at our border, stories like Javier's help humanize our perspective. His book is called Solito, and it's by Javier Zamora. And Fritz, before I move on, you can ask me questions about Solito, but I'm going to do another real quick recommendation if it's okay. That was a New York Times bestseller. Is that what called your attention to it? Because this is the first I've heard of this book. I finish a book and then I go on uh, both uh, Apple Books and Kindle and I just poke around until something captures my attention. And yes, usually bestseller lists are a good place to look. So, But Fritz, I have a current reality TV obsession. Would you like to hear about it? Yes. I know that's your jam to hear me talk about reality TV. The show is called Claim to Fame, in which relatives of famous people share a house and compete to uncover each other's identities. It sounds stupid. It's glorious. The show is hosted by Frankie and Kevin Jonas. Frankie was the bonus Jonas, little brother of the Jonas Brothers, and he now would like to be called Franklin. Fair enough. My point is this. Viewers become obsessed with identifying the celebrity relative of the participants. Clues are disseminated as gameplay progresses, and there are some generational elements in effect here. A player or viewer just may not even be familiar with a certain celebrity. For example, this season there is a contestant who looks very much like his father at a similar age. Another player got a clue with a puppy and a heart. I mean, she guessed Elvis. Now the house thinks he's related to Jim Carrey. I am talking to the TV. His face is the clue. (laughs) Have you not noticed his face? Claim to fame is well done and so much fun. It's on ABC and it's streaming on Hulu. 
That sounds cute. Try That's what I was going to say, if you can recognize the face. They have to get people that don't look exactly like their relative because it would blow the whole gig, right? If you don't know who his dad is, I guess you're just like, you, you know, it's not, you have no frame of reference. For example, some of them are younger people and their celebrity relative is someone I've never heard of. So fair enough. But, you know, it's just it's just fun to watch them try to figure it all out. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to talk about what I think is one of the most important movies in many years, Oppenheimer. This is the story of J. Robert Oppenheimer, a theoretical physicist and one of the developers of the atomic bomb. During World War II, Lieutenant General Leslie Groves was ordered to develop the Manhattan Project. The project was a rush to develop a nuclear weapon before the Germans did. And he hired Oppenheimer to be the lead physicist on this project. The film takes us through Oppenheimer's life from being a young, socially awkward genius to developing the secret city in Los Alamos, New Mexico, where the bomb was developed and first tested. The emotional peak of this movie is on July 16, 1945, when the first nuclear test explosion happened. The tension building up to the explosion will have you on the edge of your seat. The visuals and the sound have you right there on the ground at Los Alamos, And after that first test, we go through the dropping of the two bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki and an interesting encounter between Oppenheimer and President Truman, which is really fascinating. This is after the bombs were dropped. The irony is the Germans surrendered before the bomb was developed. And there is a school of thought that the Japanese didn't need to be bombed because they were near collapse anyway. For Oppenheimer... The impetus to be involved in the project at all was to stop the Germans from exterminating the Jews because he was Jewish. So after the developing and the tests and the two Japanese bombings, he was left with nothing but doubt and guilt. He even said about himself what Prometheus said about himself in mythology, I am become death. The film actually gets into the politics of the time, too, which is interesting, McCarthyism, backstabbing politicians, rumors and accusation. Oppenheimer never joined the Communist Party, but he dabbled, and that came back to haunt him later. The movie was written and directed by Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer hauntingly and brilliantly played by Killian Murphy, who has moderate fame from Peaky Blinders, which I'd never seen before this. Eerie how much he looks like Oppenheimer, too. Lieutenant General Groves, played by Matt Damon, a great role. Senator Louis Stevens, who turns on Oppenheimer and becomes his nemesis, is played by Robert Downey Jr., who admits it's the greatest role he ever played and may get an Oscar nomination. Emily Blunt is the ballsy wife of Oppenheimer, who actually wears the pants in the family. A dramatic cameo by Gary Oldman as Harry Truman, wonderful. And a turn by a quirky and fascinating actor, Florence Pugh, She's a hot property these days. It's an odd part, but she's the perfect person to play it. The movie is an important historical document, in my opinion. Oppenheimer's existential dread at what he had wrought is both heavy and heartbreaking. You really empathize with him. It boils down to the smartest guys in the world invented the most horrible device in the world, and we still live with that danger. Beautiful movie. I saw it twice and once with my daughter because I wanted her to see about the whole bomb shelter and, you know, duck and cover drills we used to do in in uh, elementary school. And she she really was fascinated by it. Genius comes with enormous responsibility. Yeah. It's heavy weight. I know. Yeah. That's what Spider-Man said. Yeah. So that's why, you know, you're 
your road has been so treacherous. I understand, Fritz. No, I, know. I just understand you so much better I, now. I know, and I'm glad yeah. they didn't pick me to be the head of the Manhattan Project. <laughs> All right, our guest today is an actor who has participated in some of the biggest shows on television. Welcome back, Cotter, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, most recently Bob Hart, Abishola. She's also an author and for many years a teacher, and, and she has a great nonprofit called Heart. We're going to talk all about that. And there's a documentary about her amazing life now streaming on Peacock entitled You Look Familiar. We're happy to welcome Verne Watson. Verne, great to talk to you, dear. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I'll tell you, I did not realize how many shows you've been involved in until I watched the opening credits on your documentary. It was a clever way to sort of do that. They have you dancing through your list of credits, and it takes like five minutes to get from the beginning to the end of the credits. IMDb oh, on parade. Seriously, it really is. It is. It's like a, an MTV version of uh, IMDb. <laughs> have, you, have you ever counted the number of uh, shows you've been on or roles you've been on? No, no. Um, it's been a lot. I, I, once in a while, I go into my IMDb page to look up something and I'm scrolling and scrolling. <laughs> Seriously. And oh, yeah, I did that too. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You have to have some kind of a record there. Yeah, it's, um, it's been a long journey, mm -hmm. a lot of years. So, uh, and I've, I've done a guest spots on many, 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 many shows now on many have. So, yeah, we're going we're to go through at least 500 of them before we're finished here today. Let me just start you off with a question. I'm going to go back home because I think your family is a great success story. You were brought up in Harlem, somewhere between 130 and 150th Street. Is that right? Somewhere in that neighborhood? Was that your... Well, I started out in Brooklyn at the first projects ever built in New York yeah. called the Williamsburg Projects. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to a new project in Harlem when I was 11 years old on 114th Street in Madison. And I went to Catholic high school, Catholic elementary school. Um, that's where I grew up, on 114th in Madison. Are and you, the tech projects. You had one of those fathers who was a different person to his kids than he presented to other folks. And why do you think that is? Do you think it's the pressure that maybe men feel to raise you right? Yes, my and my father was an only child. Mm -hmm. um, his side of the family was supposed to be the proper ones, and my mother's side were the more raw kind. Of, I'm not going to tell you what he called them, but um, <laughs> more fun, more fun. Yeah, they were more fun. We we enjoyed being around both sides of the family because, um, you know, being kids, they the it brings out the best in people. Mm. Um, but my father was very strict. He had us playing piano and he would punish us for summers at a time if we didn't behave. Um, but you had a great passage in your documentary about your dad that was very touching, but interesting. Oh, yeah, because my cousins were all talking about, oh, Walter Lee, he's so funny. He's so funny. Ha, ha, ha. 
And me and my sister like, who was he talking to? <laughs> but you we didn't the, know the, this person. <laughs> when, when, when your father was inflicted with Alzheimer's disease, you said your father's real, lovely, and personable personality finally came out. Yeah, we, he started making jokes <laughs> and it was this guy. Know, laughing, and we're like, oh, this is who they meant. <laughs> we know this person. And you Fritz know, had a similar was, experience with his at his dad's funeral. Where he's listening to people eulogize this guy, I'm like, he sounds awesome, but I don't know him. <laughs> I'm sad I didn't meet this guy. Right, right. right. They show other people a whole different side yep. of themselves because yeah. they're not responsible for them, I guess. Right, right. I think that's what it is. The pressure of like, okay, the whole world's watching how this child behaves. And, all and comes- he, you know, I have three brothers and sisters, so he had a big responsibility on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But his strictness must have paid off because two and of- he, he, uh, he, I'm sorry, he taught music as well. Mm-hmm. So he did have a connection to the arts. And I found out also that people on his side of the family um, were artists, also dancers. Um, Alonzo King in in San Francisco, Lines Ballet. That's our cousin. What? Mm, wow. Yes, it's crazy. And you always wanted to be a singer and dancer when you were younger. I wanted to dance. I sang anyway, but nobody would pay to hear me sing. <laughs> but um, but I always wanted to dance. And we started out, I started out dancing. I went to Bernice Johnson Dance Studio, which so many um, talented people came through at that time. And uh, Ruth Williams, all these dance schools, one in Long Island and one in Manhattan on 125th Street. And you talk about going to your aunt's house in Queens on the weekend and doing dance classes and stuff. And that was one of the key things that taught you one of the most valuable lessons in your life is do the work and that do was the work child mm-hmm. do work you got to do the work and people they shy away from the work you know they just want it to come uh and and being a teacher of young people i get parents all the time coming to me oh my child is just you got to see it. You got to see it. She's talented. He's this, he's that. And, but they're not disciplined and they, they've been driven to class. We used to have to take the train, mm-hmm. get off the subway. So we had a sense of responsibility, you know? Um, but that's my main problem in my classes with the kids to get them to do the work. Mm-hmm. And, because Once they're, they they're not it. as invested in it if they haven't made the effort to be there. They've just been driven there as part of the activities that they have. And you talk about, you know, being a part of the Alfan Ensemble with Harlem Youth Unlimited. You put in the work, years and years and years of hard work so that when opportunity presented itself, you were ready. And that and how do you instill that in play date kids? Like how do you get them exactly. to get it? Exactly. And we put on productions. We just did um our summer intensive and we had 10 days and we did a whole production. We had music, song, dance, acting, everything it was called the block party. Mm. And it was uh, to celebrate the 50 years of hip hop. So kids had to learn rap. They had to learn scenes, characters, everything in two weeks. So this is how we push them. You know, here's your script. Let's get it together. And 
having to do things over and over again and the meticulous thing of staging and moving from this point to that point, project, I can't hear you, say it again, you know, all those things. And when the show comes, you see the smiles on their face. Mm, they're proud. <laughs> and when the audience applauds, yeah. you know, I can see, uh-huh. You did the work. How did that feel? It felt good. It mm. felt good, Ms. Renee. And, yes. and you learned that from a very young age because you were talking about taking the subway. I, I, I found it mind-blowing that when you were in school, you would take the subway to school when you were seven years old. You and your brother and sister would get on the subway at seven years old yeah. and go to school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine. Around the piano lesson on 57th Street. The Wilshire, we call it the Wilshire Hotel. Mm -hmm. Out here is Wilshire Boulevard. I was like, no, that's Wilshire. <laughs> but we would get on the train, all four of us. We, you know, get out tokens and all that stuff and hold hands and the door open. Okay, get in, you know, <laughs> and travel on downtown. And taking crazy. the bus back and forth to school. Kids did it all the time. You have some oh, great stories about the projects where... When you had boyfriends over, they couldn't come in the front door and get caught, so they had to sneak in the window. Try to explain the geography of how that happened. <laughs> okay, so there's actually a picture of the Williamsburg projects that somebody sent me recently where I saw, you know, the projects have different buildings in the courtyard. Mm -hmm. And the awning over the building is what the boys would climb up on the awning, and we were on the second floor. So they can go from the awning to the kitchen window. Mm -hmm. So when my father and mother said, don't open the door for anybody, he didn't open the door. <laughs> Ooh, semantics. But I'd love that. Or the one, my father came around that corner, but uh -oh. one guy was on his way into the kitchen window, and here came my father around oh. the corner. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That, wow. Yeah, that was a bad one. But that when was, when you were you guys all got got parts in, in a movie as part of your acting ensemble, it's like when you were on a professional set, you were ready. And then one th you you were one of those one thing leads to another people because people like working with you. You just show up, you know your stuff, you're fun to be around, and you're good. So, um, but you talk about in your documentary noticing that some folks. Uh, came to believe that they were the product rather than their work being the product. And then and then sometimes, you know, actors are, are very strange because oh, I need this job, I need a job, I need a job. And then when they get the job, oh yeah, I gotta remember these lines. I mean, it's like an afterthought. Mm. So, um, and I don't know if insecurity is at the root of it, but they they start to believe that it's about me, not about what I came here. What I, I feel like at home. And, and you're always learning, though. You're yeah. Always learning. And it's an ensemble thing. Mm -hmm. And once you decide, I know everything, can't nobody tell me nothing, you, you stop growing. Right. And mm -hmm. one of your quotes is that, you know, once you have to have humility to learn. If yes, you think you absolutely. know everything. You're absolutely, 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 and you have to appreciate other people's positions. You know, the tech person. You know, oh, we we have to do that again. What was what was wrong with it? I did it. Well, <laughs> the camera angle. You know, mm -hmm. so just do it again. Right, right, right. And do it and do it better than you did it the last time. You mm. know, um, and sometimes I teach adults. Sometimes. And it's hard <laughs> to yeah. to be honest with them. You know, they don't want to hear the truth. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, and in New York, people tell you the truth. 
Mm-hmm. You know, out here, you got to tap dance around it a little bit. But um, you have to have tough skin to be an actor and oh. to be in this business. Yeah. You have to be willing to know that you're not, you're not, I, I learn something every time I, I, I'm working. I learn something new, you know, even about my own performance and, and where it's, where I'm best, you know, I'm not best when I'm worried about getting a laugh or what they thinking about me or how my hair looks or nothing like that. I'm best when I'm in the moment and I don't have to be thinking about my lines. I know my lines and I could just play that moment at a relaxed state, you know, well, when you not know, trying to be funny. Huh? When you know that your core is okay, you're okay with making adjustments to yes. whatever the presentation yes. is, but yes. it's, it's the folks who to make the show better. Right. It's the folks who have a weak core who feel like, you know, you're you're attacking my essence instead of just, no, I just need you to tweak. You're fine. You're right. great. Yeah. Right, right, right. right. I, I, th- I think that when, when you were describing it, um, seemed to really make a difference in your life was when you went to work for HARU, which is the Harlem Youth Community Theater, and you guys were actually paid for the work you did, which was pretty amazing for you to make some money at it, and you went on the road and performed all over the place. What a great experience for young people. Right. They they had they had a um, dance department. They had an acting department. We got paid to take acting classes. I mean, we didn't get paid much, but we got paid. And um, I think we bought home maybe seventy five dollars a week. But That's that was darn a good. lot of money back then. How you old know? were you when that was happening? I I started with the acting ensemble when I was about fifteen, fourteen or fifteen. And you got your SAG card at 16, which has to be some kind of... Yes, I was doing background work, extra work Mm -hmm. on Cotton Comes to Harlem. Wow. It was hot out there. We had on winter clothes. Mm -hmm. They had chickens, live chickens all around (laughs) us. It was a mess. But, and then I learned what it's like to be out standing out there in that hot sun on the set. But you still got to do what you have to do. You know, you can't whine and complain. Just do the work. You know, you sweat it out. And I got a line and that line got me my sad card. <laughs> what, what's the line? Um, not yeah. free Deco Malley. We want, we want <laughs> our money back or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, so you can see yourself in that movie, that first yes, movie. Yes, I saw it. I, went, I actually went to um, the Black Cinema exhibit here mm. at LACMA. Mm-hmm. And that movie was on uh, in the, the in the exhibit. Oh, yep. that's awesome! And I saw myself in there. That well, was at Haru, uh, another thing you learned was what all the performers in that era learned. Like I, I remember Smokey Robinson talking about doing this when when the Motown Review would go in the South and they couldn't stay in certain restaurants and they couldn't eat in certain places, and you learned from an early early age what that Southern racism was all about because your your t- company used to tour down there, correct? Oh yeah, and we got called the N word and all that stuff. E- even when I got older, I did love Savage Fury in Mississippi with Jennifer O'Neill, and. Um, we, we, I went out with the crew one night. We all went out. You know, there's, the crew is mixed, you know. Um, and one of the guys on the crew, we were dancing. He happened to be a white guy with a beard. And we get out on the dance floor, and the rest of the club just backs away from us. Why are you dancing with that woman? You know what I mean? 
and it just it's just very sad it's very sad and and we didn't react to it we just kept partying and it's you know that's their problem that's how we felt it's it's your problem we're not going to defend what we're doing but maybe you can just learn something from this seems like um, it'd be a lot of work to be preoccupied with something that trivial well and even when we went into the to the big house because it, it was a movie i played her i was a slave i was her i i was her you know caretaker or whatever and and they stopped me they let her and her entourage in the house and they said you can't come in here i said but i'm part of the um i'm one of the actresses so i had to get proof of that and all oh, that stuff and we get in there and they because there's no air conditioning in those big old mansions so they hand me a big fan and they tell me to fan her oh my god <laughs> oh my and jennifer takes the fan and she starts fanning me good and they're like what what is going on here you know so yeah it's it's it, it was interesting it was interesting it was well you a couple were... of times we couldn't go into you know um restaurants and stuff because of the racism Right. And it seems like every time you want to believe that we're beyond that silliness, things happen. Here it that, comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. Like it's, here it comes again. And, and it's validated. It's like, it's okay. It's okay to be racist. You know, uh, this is who we are. But it's not. It's, 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 it's um, we need to get beyond that. We really do still have mm -hmm. a lot of work to do. But television began telling African-American stories in the 70s and 80s, and you were a part of that wave. So we had the Jeffersons, Good Times, Different Strokes, Amen, 227, The Cosby Show, Family Matters, et cetera, et cetera. What did you notice about our collective consciousness when black folks were better represented on, uh, on television? I think that... Um the audience really enjoyed it. Uh, they they got a chance to laugh at and with black people about themselves. Um, during that time, I mean, they, I had to be very selective because all they wanted me to play at times were, you know, prostitutes and this and that, you know, it's just, um, so I did, there was some times when I had to turn some things down and just being in the business period, you know, the auditioning process and the, um, people that approach you in the in appropriate manners and all that stuff, you got to deal with that. But growing up in Harlem, I had no problem because mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. you, you get it walking down the street, you know, from your old people. So you know how to hold your own. Mm. Um, but a lot of black actors thought that it would never end. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they took advantage of the opportunities as well. You know, you start making unreasonable demands, your head gets big, I'm a star, I'm this, I'm that, and it's never gonna end, but it is, you know? And you have to set a good path so you don't burn bridges and you don't, you're, you're a good person to work with, you mm -hmm. know, you establish yourself. And just like I say, you continue, you know, I, I try to make sure, okay, I'm gonna hit this mark and, you know, I'm, I'm going to, 
place this prop here. I've done over 200 commercials and you're talking about placing props and stuff, <laughs> but they goes better when everybody works together. I, I want to talk about your commercial work because an interesting thing happened. First of all, you're sort of a paradox. You got a math scholarship to NYU. And usually you think of creative people. How can you be good at math? I flunked math three years in a row this in high is school. why accountants have careers. <laughs> That's right. So but, but you had no interest in that and transferred into the arts. And then you, unlike the majority of your fellow students, was doing really well in commercials. But they were judging you for that because they thought you were a sellout to the artistic community. Talk about that a little bit. Well, first of all, they, they were giving away scholarships back then. <laughs> and I, you know, I was, I was, um, I was a good student, but I was a last minute student and <laughs> masters came easy to me. Mm. So I got a full scholarship to New York university for math. And, um, like I said, in the thing, I was the only African-American and the only woman in all my classes bored out of my mind, <laughs> but I stayed, I hung in there for a couple of years. And I just couldn't take it anymore. So I transferred to the School of the Arts. I had Olympia Dukakis as one of my teachers. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Lloyd Richards, um, Harvey, who, who was like the circus master. Many of his students went, I couldn't juggle for nothing, but many of his students went on to Cirque du Soleil. Mm. And I was getting training that I hadn't gotten with Al Fan. And with, um, but I was still, you know, Al Fan taught us to every day when we have time, we hit the, hit the pavement, full makeup, professional look, your portfolio, and you go around to agents' offices and just peep your head in. So I was getting a lot of calls for commercials. And because I don't think I know everything. I get on that set and I'm like a sponge, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. what can I do to hit this right, mm -hmm. you know, and to not be a problem and to get this take done. So I started getting callbacks and callbacks and callbacks. And I start I started booking and I had to miss school a few times. And I went to see Lloyd Richards and I told him, I said, you know, I need a, a leave of absence because I'm missing classes and I, I'm working and this is why I'm coming to school so I can work. And then my classmates told me I was selling out. I didn't love acting and love this. And I said, you know, that word love. <laughs> <laughs> they were probably jealous because you were making money and they weren't. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, but and and it's it, but you know, I just I I knew that this is what I was going to school for. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I'm not going to I'm going to stop learning. I think I know everything. I just want to work right now. Mm -hmm. And um I intended to go back, but I never did. But I kept studying. I went on to study with Wynn Hanman at American Place Theater. Richard Gere was one of my scene partners. Wow. <laughs> And Brad Davis, you remember him? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Yep. So yep. it's about the professionalism and the, the, the whole love of the arts and selling out and all that. It didn't make too much sense to me because a professional person works for money. And we're going to school to learn to be a professional. And I can also learn that on a set 
and the object is to make a living at it. Yes? Exactly. And I'm sharing that now. I'm not making a living at teaching. I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) But it gives it gives me joy and fulfillment to be able to pass it along to the young people. And you were doing so many commercials that at a point your agent said, why don't you go out to L.A.? You you felt like you were being overexposed in New York. They used the to call me the commercial queen. I walk into an audition. They're like, what's she doing here? Don't you have enough commercials? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they and then they started asking for the Vernay Watson type. They didn't want to see me. They just wanted my type. <laughs> So that's when my agent told me, maybe you better go out to California and see if you can do some um, sitcoms or, you know, episodics and stuff. Yes. And that's when you learned patience because you can't just work the pavement in L.A. You have to wait for the phone to ring. And that's not you. You're a proactive person. Nuts. I come out here and you could only have one agent. Mm -hmm. You can't have a lot of agents. Um, And just just sit back, Renee, and wait for the phone. What? What? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I had to be patient. And even trying to get that first job that um, Welcome Back, Cotter. Mm -hmm. I think I did some other things before Welcome Back, Cotter. But you had to have an agent. And I didn't have any footage on myself when I came out here, besides, except for commercials. But I knew an agent from New York, Martin Gage. And I... The part came up on Welcome Back, Carter, and Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, who who was at our fans with us in New York. In New York, mm. he was on there. He said, "Vanessa, it's part for my boy. You know, a, a girl who pay my boyfriend." I said, "I'm coming down there." He said, "But you need an agent." I was like, "Oh shoot!" So I called Martin, and I said, "Martin, you know, I, there's a part coming up." He said, "Vanessa, you're too old." Because I was 27 at the time. <laughs> Everybody in that classroom was 30. <laughs> John Travolta was the youngest. Sure. He, he was the youngest. And me and um, I think Ron Palillo were the oldest. Mm. You're, like, you're ever youthful. But, but I told I told Martin, I said, Martin, look, how about I go down there and I'll get the job. If I get the job, I'll bring it back to you. Will you be my agent? He said, yeah, go ahead. You did his work for him. That was a lovely thing. <laughs> well, he didn't send me. I just went down there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then I, I called him back, and he's been my agent since, ever since. Would you like to play uh, a game I'm calling IMDb Roulette? This is where I'm going to say the name of a show, and you can tell me if you remember who you played, and you remember, you know, <laughs> what happened on the set that day. Uh, we'll yeah, start exactly. with what I think you booked ahead of Cotter, which is Room 222. Room 222? It says so. I wasn't on that. You weren't? It's another false IMDb entry. Might be, might be. Is it on there, really? It is. It's on there. We can look it up. (laughs) You've done too many. I'll I'll assume that. That's the one with Denise Nicholas, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe you were absent that day of class. Yeah, maybe I was. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The Jeffersons. I played his secretary. Oh, and and this was you know a TNA right? Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. You know a TNA. So they wanted a TNA secretary. I said mm, I don't have neither one of those. So, <laughs> <laughs> but but they booked me anyway, and they padded me. Oh no! <laughs> they padded me in the front, and they padded me in the back. And that'll I throw off your down. balance. What? That'll throw off your balance. 
<laughs> I remember sitting down at the butt rising of oh. my back. <laughs> and I got up and I was like, oh, I can't turn around. <laughs> like, I look a little freakish. But that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And uh, Sherman Hemsley was great to work with. And um, Wheezy, yes. That's... She was like, real. I had, a, I had a great time on that show. That yes. was the Jeffersons, right? Yes, I was a page, so I probably met you then. What? Yes, a page named Louise. Really? So you don't leave there without the nickname Wheezy. Wheezy. <laughs> that's that's where that happened. Yeah. Okay, I remember that one. Okay, the West Wing. Oh. Okay, so this is I, I told I think I told the story in my documentary. I played a nurse. Mm. I'm the furthest thing from a nurse. I play a nurse a lot though. You play but a my nurse a lot. Sister yeah. Is a nurse. My sister is a pediatric, uh, and she she worked in the NICU. NI, yeah, needle. NICU, yeah, NICU. NICU, yes. Neonatal intensive care. My sister's a doctor, and my brother's an X-ray technician. I'm the only one that's not a nurse. But when they told me I had, they wanted me to hold twins in my hand and hand them, carry them. And handed, I said, mm, let me call my sister. <laughs> <laughs> Was it actual babies? Real, yes. Real Wiggly, squirmy babies. Human babies, okay. I, I called my sister. She said, no, 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 no. <laughs> Do not carry those. I said, I thought, I didn't think so. I said, I will. So I told them, I said, I'm not going to carry these babies. They're going to wiggle and I can't. I, we, we can't we can't have it's that. a lawsuit waiting to happen right there right and a half right <laughs> so what we did was they placed the babies in my hand he was sitting down i get get him off the bed and he's on the bed and i put the babies in his arms right there yes that was it i played a, yeah i remember that crazy okay got the, it right okay the big bang theory Another nurse. <laughs> Another nurse. Here we go. And I did the pilot. For, we, we did actually did two pilots for Big Bang. Mm. I was there from the beginning. Chuck Lorre remembered me from Grace Under Fire. Mm. I was on that. He had me on there. He, he's, he's such a loyal man. And if he likes you, he really likes you. And he, he keeps bringing you back. So mm-hmm. they asked me to come and do this pilot as a nurse, Althea. We did the first pilot. They didn't quite think the cast, the chemistry was right, so they recast it. But they kept me as a guest. Mm. And they got the combination right. We shot the pilot. They, 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 they actually had a cast after the first cast that didn't work again. And I was in on that table read. And then the final one with the you know, the, what's his name? The, the, the other two, the other two guys. Mm-hmm. And, um, the main guys, Kay, Kaylee. Yeah. Yeah. So we shot that pilot and I uh, came back a, a couple of times on there as nurse Althea. I love playing that part. That was fun. Chuck Lurie is one of the most prolific and brilliant comedy guys uh, in town. And I was so happy to hear all the wonderful things you said about him. He is just amazing. And he's so 
low keyed. You know, he came he and he drives like two hours from his house. He's like, oh, that traffic. I said, Chuck, you should be taking a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you have a driver? What is this? You know, that old Jewish work ethic. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> He he worked so hard, and his daughter was a PA on Big Bang, mm. and now she's directing. Oh. But you wouldn't even know that she was his daughter unless mm. you asked her, mm. because she was like, "I'm Chuck Lorre." None of that. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. And no. he does Bob Hart's Abishola too, right? Yeah, and he writes music. He's always playing his guitar. He writes the, you know, theme songs and he he's he's pretty amazing. Now you were on Two and a Half Men and A Nurse Again. <laughs> a nurse again. And were you there when things got kind of turbulent with Charlie? Um Yeah. I mean I I I was there with Charlie and then I came after Charlie left. Hmm. And, you know, John and I talked about it and stuff. And I was also involved in the Michael Jackson um, trial and all that stuff. So were the two of us. We were both in it. We did. We both testified in that trial because we knew the family. We knew the... In Santa Barbara. Did you do the one in Santa Barbara? Which family? The family of the um, accuser. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Those folks. Yeah, he he was my student. Michael was? No, the 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 boy. Oh, you that, knew Gavin? Yeah, Gavin yeah. was my student. Okay. I, I used to I would see him in the hospital and all this stuff, and I was kind of responsible for them meeting Michael, because my friend Carol Lemire, mm. she did Michael's hair, so she would we we would get to go to the ranch, you know, and all that stuff, and I saw in the theater, how he had beds for sick people and, you know, all this. He, he really supported and tried to open his heart to people who, you know, needed help. And, and there were sick, especially children. And then I told Carol, I said, well, maybe, you know, Michael will let Gavin come out and his family and Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Exactly. Uh, and I probably met you in the hospital. Because I I was with I used Gavin. To go up there all the time. Yeah, yes. I was there all the yes. time. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, we'll have to talk off the show. A lot a lot of notes to share. That's. But but John shared a story with me about mm-hmm. his first accusation. Um. And that was very revealing too. I don't know if we can talk about that here. But Why not? Of course go you ahead. can. Go ahead. Well, he was saying that the first kid that accused Michael. He knew the kid's father and the father was going through a divorce mm-hmm. and he just wanted the money. Yeah, there's a there's a lot. And Michael used to tell me, I mean, it was just. Mm-hmm. And and the mother. She 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 was the catalyst in this because the greed and I asked Michael, I said, what happened? Why did they turn on you like that? He said, because I wouldn't buy them a house. And she she actually had a kid and named him Michael. And she's told everybody that their real father was dead, which I knew wasn't he wasn't dead. And that Michael was their father and and how they would try to 
you know, get get up to his room with the secret code and stuff. It, it was a bad situation. I just, and I almost got thrown out of the courtroom when she testified because I was. Oh, you were up there in the courtroom? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't say anything. I just looked at her. I was just, and she was up there. She, she was, she, and I, she, I know, I know she could feel me looking at her. And she told the judge, I, I, I can't answer that question. They, they're, they're talking too much. They're talking. I'm like, me? I didn't say a word. But actually, his sisters were talking. They were talking about some gum or something. But, um, and so they sent the security over, you know, to, to watch me or monitor me. Hmm. But I was sending energy to her to let her know that I did not agree with what she was saying and that she was a liar. And she was feeling that. Well, the truth is there, and there are those who know it and those who can just simply speculate and yes. uh, believe what they wish to believe. But the two exactly. people that know the truth would be Michael and any child that would make that accusation. So I'm going to just like move on with grace and hope that the truth surfaces so that everybody can have their, their space and their dignity. Um, we have one more entry into IMDb, Roulette, and that is a show that a lot of people grew up watching, maybe even our own producer, Dina Friedman, Sister, Sister. Ah, so one of my students just asked me, were you on Sister, Sister? Ah, see? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I played, uh, I don't know, I played Jack Hayes' friend, right? Or cousin, what was I? <laughs> <laughs> and I had a son okay. that one of the daughters liked. Oh my goodness, yes. T.R. Tamara. And and he he was a player, the sub was a player. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And those girls, the, what a sweet! Oh, those girls were so sweet. You you talked about Travolta on uh, Welcome Back, Cotter, and you've worked maybe with more, but two instances where people, when you knew them, went on to become huge. Right. Global mecha stars like John Travolta and Will Smith. How is that when you look back at these youngsters that you worked with early in your career? Well, John came on the set one day. He's like, I'm going to be a superstar. And we were all like, what? Get out of here. <laughs> I'm working I'm working on a movie. I said, you still picking your nose. You ain't going <laughs> But I didn't know that he was so, you know, he would dance around on the set and stuff. But what a sweetheart. Oh, my mm -hmm. God. He was just so much fun and such a uh, a regular kind of guy, you know, and mm -hmm. just very genuine that <clears throat> when he said it, we were like, eh, but it happened. Mm -hmm. It definitely happened. Tell us about Will Smith and your interactions with him, because you played his mom on Fresh Prince. Mm -hmm. Right, 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 right. I didn't even know who Fresh Prince was. I had to ask my kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, but um, I had no idea the show would blow up like that. Um, he was, he was professional. He always knew his lines and stuff. He didn't like to rehearse too much on the side, you know, cause I'm one that's let's run these lines. Let's do this. He, he didn't want to do all that stuff, you know, but when he, when he came on set, he was ready. He was ready and he was always very respectful and they fooled around a lot. But it was, and when all of us got together, it was, oh my goodness. It was hard to get work done because we had so much fun with each other. Um, 
but I just enjoyed him. I enjoyed his 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 willingness to kind of improvise and let it go, you know, and just clown and 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 know your lines. So, you know, he would see me and we went to Philly together to do one of the episodes. Did you have a sense that he was going to be as as huge as he was? Did you see a spark in him that said, wow, this kid's destined for huge things? I I, I thought he was good. I mean, I I don't know. I don't don't project that far. (laughs) I mean, I was glad to be working with him. I knew he was a smart person and a smart businessman. Um, and he worked his butt off on that show. Mm-hmm. He would warm up the audience. I had never seen the star of a show warm up the audience. Wow. First, he would take all of us into the, his dressing room, turn on some music, and we had to dance and party. So we get our makeup on and our hair done and stuff, and we would go in there and sweat. <laughs> <laughs> and the makeup people would be so upset. And then he would go out and warm up the audience before the show wow. and tell jokes and he'd be, he'd be up in, in there in communicating with them and interacting and all this stuff. He, he really worked hard. So, yes, I can see that. I can see that. He had, he had a lot to give. You, he has a lot to give, yeah. You've been on a lot of sets. So how much of the mood and the culture on the set makes its way into the actual product? All of it. Mm. All of it. I mean, you can fake it for a while, Mm -hmm. but if there's animosity or, you know, just uh, jealousy, you know, or something going on, that it's going to show. But I have been fortunate to work with such wonderful, wonderful people, cast, crew, and this Bob Hart's Abishola has been phenomenal. Um, and with Billy Card- Gardell as our leader and Falake and, and Chuck and Gina, it's just, uh, I mean, we party on set. We love each other. We, we have a chat going, you know, we look out for each other. We care about each other. Um, unfortunately, the show wasn't picked up for the whole next season. Hmm. Um, but the people that love the show really love the show. And I think that it's important for the climate right now Mm -hmm. to have that show on the air. Mm -hmm. And it's so inclusive and um, educational and real, you know? So uh, I'm, I'm very blessed and grateful to have been a part of that to still be a part of that. You were an Antoine Fisher. And that, oh, and that was goodness. the first directing opportunity for Denzel Washington. How was that? Is it tough working for an iconic person in the director's chair? <laughs> well, his, his daughter was my student. Mm. Oh. Olivia Washington, who's making her own way now. There you and go. I told them that when she when she took my class, I was like, "Oh, y'all got an actress here." Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, 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 no. But she's doing really, really well. Um, and when I found out that I had to audition for Denzel, well, you know, what female is not like, "Oh, Denzel Washington," <laughs> right? So I went into the audition, and he's he's such a good actor, 
that he he gets so involved. He's like, okay, so you're over here and you're on the phone. Why don't you turn your back a little bit, you know? And then I'm gonna be over here and da 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 da. And he's like, I was like, oh my god, and you know. <laughs> and then when we were on the set, he he doesn't just deal with movement and camera angles. He deals with the what's what's motivating the character. And you know, he'll come up beside and say, so. Uh, what's your character thinking right now? What's what's going on? And you better know. Mm. You better know. And one time he got a little bit too close to me. I said, well, you're going to have to back up for me to think. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> and Paul Letter is his wife is a huge supporter of the heart. She was at our last function. They're, they're beautiful, wonderful family. And, and he was an amazing director. He's not. He, it wasn't about him. I'm, you know, Denzel Washington and this is, I'm in this movie also. No, it's about the, the, the movie. And he, he got the shots that he wanted. He worked hard. He had good cast with him. And uh, I think he did an excellent job. It was a beautiful film. Oh, and and he did you, you didn't walk away saying oh he's the star of the you know this is about Denzel. No, it was an ensemble piece. Even um. Viola was in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Viola Davis, yeah. Now you're... She said one word, huh? Oh, I was just going to uh, change the subject if you're ready. I don't want to cut ready, you off. You're a woman in show business, and you've had some unfortunate, unpleasant encounters, but you always keep your head. What what? Tell us a little bit about some of the things that have happened to you in terms of sexual harassment and how you have chosen to handle it. Um, well, you know, it started in New York with the go and the modeling and all that stuff. And, you know, we want to do nude shots and da, 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 da. And can you take your clothes off? All that stuff, you know, I just walk out, you know, and, and don't touch me because mm. you'll get a backhand. Mm-hmm. And a couple of stars have tried, you know, have walked past me and touched me inappropriately and got a backhand. You know, yeah. Um, and um, one uh, executive producer touched me inappropriately in front of the audience. The audience didn't see it oh my God. because we were faced at a, a different angle. But my husband had come on set, mm-hmm. and um, and I was, you know, hey, baby, brother, who's that? It's my husband. And, I, you know, I'm talking about this, that, and the other. And he grabs me in my crotch. And I said to him, you are just another you-know-what. Mm-hmm. And I lost my job. Oh. They had to pay me for the year or the, the two years or whatever it was. Um, but I wasn't gonna have it. And on another occasion, I, I had to warn, warn, is it warn? Warn yeah. a young woman who came into a dressing room about 19 years old, what are you doing here? Oh, he, someone bought me from the track. You need to get in a cab <laughs> and get your butt home. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so um, I, I just, I just, I just can't stand for it. I don't stand for it, and I, and I, and I don't mind telling you right then and there. 
That's a good you know, note to you know, people who are in this Me Too movement era. Part of it, not all of it, but a part of it is sticking up for yourself and reacting right. strongly so right. you establish a boundary. Right. Right. And don't, you know, don't. And I, I, I was at lunch one time because this is part of the uh, introduction process with this executive producer. And my uh, agent is, oh, uh, Mr. Son, you, you know Renee? Oh, yeah. Last time I saw her, she was up under the table. What? Okay, that's how this is going. Mm -hmm. So I was always here. Yeah. Yeah. With them. Yeah. And 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 as soon as I I, I was in um Washington doing a movie and people were asking me about this kind of thing too, you know, and and, and I and I happened to mention and this, none of this none of the publicity had come out or nothing and I happened to mention that this person was not the you know cookies and cream that we all believed unfortunately because it was very sad and then maybe a week later or two weeks later that it, everything came out you know are you talking about cosby yep yeah wow all right let's 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 talk about hope let's talk about your great hearts organization that you're doing great work and have how many years has that organization been in existence well Eartha and I, who is the co-founder as well, we had this, it was used to call, be called the Robinson Projects when our kids were younger. Um, so we got together. I met Eartha in the uh, mid-90s, and they were doing the chocolate nutcracker. Um, and Debbie Allen would come in and do, like, one of the roles in the chocolate nutcracker. So... Um, and I put my kids in it when they were very young. So we started, she started a dance school and I started teaching acting. Mm. It was called the Robinson Project. So that was back in the 90s. We had that for maybe 10 years. And then she went to New York and she came back and then we established the heart in 2017. Um, and this is the H-E through the arts heartfelt education in the arts through the arts and it's a nonprofit organization we have been fortunate enough to find a home here at mkm cultural arts center in north hollywood mm -hmm. um i'm in the a studio we have three studios and a theater right here uh, miss shirley martin and andre miller are the owners of the building we came in and um, upgraded a lot of things and, you know, got the building together and it's flourishing now. We have flamingo classes going on in here. They're not part of our organization, but the, the center itself is a cultural arts center. And we, as the heart, we do Black History Month shows. We do Christmas and summer programs, after school programs. We give the kids dance, singing and acting. And we really try to nurture them on a one-on-one -on -one level oh. and meet them where they are. Mm. We have some special needs kids. We have 
kids, you know, that shy, you know, they come in, they hide behind mommy and, the, you know, oh, my child is so brilliant. Well, why won't she come from behind your living? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, after maybe two or three weeks with us or however, or after the first show, they want the starring role. So it's it's good to see the kids gain confidence and to get up out of those phones. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Oh. I collect them. You collect them. <laughs> in class, I have a basket. Uh-huh. Put the phone in the basket. Do you have public performances for these kids? Oh, yeah. And do you have a website where we might find when your performances the are heart, happening? Theheartarts.org. Okay. Theheartarts.org. We'll have and in the show we, have, we have on, on YouTube, if you look it up, we have our Black History Month show on there because we also... Um, have mentorship programs where we have professional people come in and work alongside the children. Mm, wonderful. And um, yeah, so th- th- those are some professional dancers in there. Wow. Yeah. I bet I bet it's fun for you, having been in the business, to see somebody who has a spark, and you you know in your soul that if this person just stays with it, you'll be seeing great things from them. That's yes. got to be fun. Yes. Yes. And to see them achieve. And to have successes on stage and enjoy it, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes you think they're not getting it. You know, kids will let you think they, they don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and and um, but then here comes the showtime and they come alive. Mm. You know, it's, it's hard work. It takes a lot of patience. A lot of perseverance. But it's the most rewarding work that I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And as you know from raising your own kid, kids, uh, it sinks in when it's re- when they're ready for it to sink in. You don't have That's to right. feel like you're talking to the wall. They're hearing it. They're just not absorbing it quite yet, but they will. And I guess your teaching works because you have a son that danced or still dances with the Alvinelli Company, or your son's in Paris now, but used to dance with Alvinelli too. Correct? He he told me when he was younger, he said, I'm not leaving you till I'm 35. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, I used to have to tuck him in at night and I have to lay with him until he goes to sleep. But he, um, Eartha, he, I, my, my daughter was in dance class and, I, and my son was imitating her one day in the kitchen and I saw him do this bow. I was like, what? You going to class next week. <laughs> so he joined and he liked the movement part, but he didn't like the technique stuff. And he didn't like to flick his wrist at all. You know, he, he didn't want to do the ballet and all that stuff. Um, but Otis Salid taught him how to dance like a man. Mm-hmm. And it clicked. Mm. And when he was like 15 or 16 years old, he got it. And he's six foot four. Oh. Mm. But he and he was doing Michael Jackson before he could walk. So he's always been a dancer. He went to Pacoima Middle School where he took dance classes and used to turn out the concerts, him and his buddy Raymond. He went to Hollywood High School and before uh, worked with Kenny Long, Marat Ballet, all this stuff. And he auditioned for the fellowship program at Alvin Ailey when he was 16 and he got into it. So I actually had to bring him back from New York to come back here and graduate from Hollywood High School. 
And from there, he left. I said, I thought you was going to leave me until you was 35. He hadn't been back home since he was 17. Um, so from the fellowship, they put him in the second company and worked him to death. Um, and they don't they didn't pay too much. And then when he, Otis told him that, because Josh is very creative, he wasn't really interested in competitive dancing and all that kind of stuff. Um, he told Josh that there's a guy in Germany, William Forsythe, that you would probably <clears throat> like to study with. And he had the Forsythe company in Germany. So Josh went to Germany when he was maybe 18 and lived rough for a couple of weeks and auditioned for Foresight. He came back here. They offered him a position in the first company. He got into the first company. They offered him a $50,000 grant. Cause I mean, they got evicted when they were in the second company. There were three of them living in an apartment, but they weren't getting paid enough. Mm. And Josh was like, they're just wearing me out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but he was learning. I mean, it was excellent exposure. Judith Jameson just loved him. But Foresight told him, he, t he told when he went to audition for him, he said, I don't have a place for you now. He said, but I'm retiring in a few years. As soon as I get a place, I'm going to call you. He was in that first company for six months with a possibility of a $50,000 scholarship. He heard from William Foresight. Foresight said, I got a place for you. And Josh went over there. And he was with the Foresight Company for seven years. And I got a chance to go to Paris oh, and my. London and Venice, all over the world to see him perform. Oh, oh my God. What a gift. It was Holy amazing. Cow. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the best, the absolute best. And I, I mean, even watching him in the early performances, going to New York and going to um, Lincoln Center and all. Oh, oh my just, goodness. You know, yeah, it was just amazing. So cool. And um, Foresight retired. He became the um, dance director of um, the School of Dance at U USC. I don't know if he's still there, but Josh is now in Zurich, Switzerland, um, working at a performing arts institute there. He puts on productions, he choreographs. He had a chance to work with the Louis Vuitton fashion show, um, the 2020 men's fashion show he choreographed. Um, He's working now with some artists, uh, rap artists and stuff. He goes, he's able to, you know, he's a creative person and the kind of improvisational um, movements that they do. Did you see in the beginning of my video when mm -hmm. I was doing all like Did he this? choreograph you at the beginning of your video? I thought, <laughs> yeah, damn. we saw it, we saw it. That's very interpretive. <laughs> my, no, my Meantime, while your 500 <laughs> credits are going that by. That they do, though, they kind of, you know, all the angles, that's foresight. Ah. You know? and, and, and my daughter said, Mom, what were you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I, was, I was doing foresight. She said, don't tell foresight. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I love it. It was really good. All right. Well, we're going to put everything that you need to know about Vernay in our 
show notes. So don't pull over. Don't get into an accident. It's all there for you when you get home. And I'm going to read our closing credits. Thank you so much for joining us. We would love to continue this conversation with you on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at MediaPathPod, and on Facebook, where our show page is MediaPathPodcast, and our Facebook group is called MediaPath with Fritz and Wheezy Podcast Community. You can find full video podcast episodes loaded with bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, MediaPathPodcast, and you can write to us at MediaPathPodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, please give us a nice rating on Apple Podcasts and talk about us on social media when you're when Brene gives you your phone back <laughs> you can sign up on our you can sign up for our spicy newsletter at mediapathpodcast.com we want to thank our guest Brene Watson our team includes producer Dina Friedman John Maddox Bill Filippiak Thomas Hubble Mason Brown Lori DeWall Garrett Arch Nick Broussard and you our theme music is by me and John Maddox I'm Louise Palenker here with Fritz Coleman and Brene Watson be well and wise and we will see you along the media path